You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ken Honda. This is the Earn and Invest podcast. There was a time when I thought having money would make me happy. Often when I was unhappy... When I felt crushed by my workday or feeling the grind of being beholden to someone else's whims, I would daydream about what having enough looked like, whether it be a net worth number or some sort of passive income that would sustain my family and me. What I never did, however, is differentiate between the types of money that was coming in. Was it happy money or unhappy money? Was my money smiling at me? Hmm. While it sounds a little hokey, the concept goes well with my theories about intention. Good or happy intentions lead to good outcomes. Bad or unhappy intentions, well, you get the idea. Could the same be true for money? Well, my guest today says it is. Ken Honda is Japan's number one best-selling personal development guru and author of Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Ken Honda, welcome to Earn and Invest. We were talking in the intro about happy money and unhappy money. And in the beginning of your book, you describe a scenario where someone is with you at a party and you say it's not uncommon for someone in Japanese culture to ask to look at the contents of your wallet. Is that really true? Does that happen in Japan all the time? Uh, around the time there's uh, um, a TV uh, uh, programs and also uh, magazine articles that what kind of celebrities uh, celebrities wallets uh, they have. Sometimes uh, wouldn't you be interested in uh, you know President Obama's wallet, Justin Bieber? <laughs> and, uh, kind of interesting, you know. Would they even have a wallet? So uh, there was a huge interest. And what kind of uh, wallet? A big, small, leather, just just card holders. So uh, the people are crazy about that. So um, that's about the time. Not anymore, I think. At the time in this story, you describe this person asks to look at your wallet and they take a look at your cash and she wanted to see if the money was smiling at you. What exactly does that mean? I was so confused because I was surrounded by four or five people in a part at the party. And she she was checking something. This is good. This is great. Oh, this is okay. And she put them all back in and then gave my wallet back and said, 
uh, you passed the test. All your money was smiling. <laughs> I said, what? I passed the test? Sounds, sounds like a good news. And uh, she said, so that means you must have made a lot of people happy and received money. And I said, wow, that's interesting. And she said, on the other hand, some people uh, take advantage of other people and, and make money, or they do what they don't like. So the money they earn that way is crying or sometimes angry in your wallet. And angry wallet, uh, angry money in your wallet can make you miserable, can bring uh, a lot of fighting energy in your house. So uh, you often fight over money because bad energy um, in your wallet uh, means bad energy in your house, between the couples and also in your ha- household. And, and in the workplace too. So in a, in a company um, that's doing shady business and trying to uh, rip off uh, um, old people, for example, even though they're legal, uh, the energy there is not so happy. So she told me about uh, what um, money uh, carries certain energy. And I started thinking from that perspective. And uh, I've been really enjoying when I imagine, okay, I think this uh, this person's money is smiling in the wallet. <laughs> oh, this must be definitely crying. So, <laughs> you know, it's a funny concept because she looked at your money and she said, "This is happy money because you're making money, and you're also making people happy." But if I remember about your past, your goal wasn't necessarily at some point to make money. You did something that was probably highly unusual for a male in Japan. You stopped working at the age of 29 to bring up your daughter. Tell me about that decision. And is that something that you see in your culture very often? No, not at all. But uh, uh, I really appreciate that. And also I'm proud that because of my books, I sold millions of copies so uh, a lot of young Japanese men are influenced by my books. So they they tend to have a, a week or two weeks and sometimes months off for their baby girls and boys. And uh, I did that uh, 24 years ago for four years. And that was uh, so unheard of. My I shocked all my friends. <laughs> but actually, in fact, there are some of them who took uh, two months and sometimes uh, one year off of their busy schedule because they try to come up with some time for their baby, for their babies. And they forever appreciated me for doing that because nobody tells you that your time is more precious in your 20s and 30s than your time in your 70s, 80s. You know, for people in their 70s, if, if you take one year off, not much drama. But from your 29 to 30 or like 25 to 26, a lot of dramas. You know, meet you meet new person, new job, and a lot of things happen. So if you can dedicate your one year for your family, that really changes everything. I feel like you came to this knowledge probably after you had left your job, right? Because you didn't start writing the books until after you left and were taking care of your daughter. How did this epiphany come? How did you come to this conclusion and realize, for instance, what you just told me that those years later on aren't the, don't have, in a sense, almost even the same value as the as the younger years? So I was smart enough to uh, ask good questions. So in my twenties, I since I was twenty, um, I started asking good questions to uh, adults. 
So when my wife and I found that uh, she was pregnant, I just asked around people who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s, what is the most important thing about child raising? Like, you know, to protect self-esteem of the baby or just spend more time or just teach English or I don't know, start musical, you know, um, uh, training or whatever that is. Uh, what would you regret? And I thought like 10 different answers from 10 different people. And what's amazing is that 10 people said exactly the same thing to the words. They said, I wish I spent more time together. And uh, I asked them, what do you mean by that? And they said, it doesn't really matter you know, how I spent it, but I wish I spent more time. Uh, because I was busy doing something for work and for the family. So I couldn't, I, I just don't remember. I spent even a few minutes with my newborn baby. So I want to buy back my time. You know, um, that person was in, in his 50s. Uh, he was a millionaire. I And I said, how much would you pay? Yeah. Uh, he, he said, I'll probably pay a million a year. Wow, million dollars a year? You know, and then... Mm, that means like that must mean a lot. Uh, and he and he said, imagine if you become a millionaire in your fifties, and then um, God or devil shows up and 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 offer offers you a, a trade. You know, do you want to buy back your uh, one year um, right after your baby is born without million dollars? And if you have say five or six million dollars or ten million dollars. Don't you think you're willing to spend $1 million to buy back your time? And I said, if I have a lot of money, yes, I, I would. And uh, he said, that, that's exactly what you should do. You know, one year may be too exaggerating, but a month would be good enough. So I was planning to have a month. But after about a month, I started thinking very slowly. And then I, I couldn't get back to this busy mode. So my original one month, uh, maternity leave uh, became four four years. Hmm. Now, at the time, the job you left was not as a writer. You were not a person who was writing about money. No. How did that all come about? So I was doing consulting and also accounting. So I started my business when I was 20. So I started very young. Uh, my father was a very successful tax accountant. So he started teaching me about money since I was five or six. So by the age 15, I knew a lot about money. I, I wanted to become financially independent by the age 30. So I started my business and I helped a lot of clients. Uh, so I never worked for anybody in my life in, in a company. So um, I started early and finished early. So uh, in my 30s, I thought I could work for other people. That's my uh, intention in my 20s. And I was lucky enough to be able to retire with my uh, baby girl and with my wife. So during the semi-retirement for about two years into semi-retirement, I got this vision <laughs> of writing a book, which was a bizarre because I was a ma law major student and uh, um, you know I did my job was accounting and consulting, <laughs> far from writing anything. But I uh, this vision kept coming back. One time I just did a, a self-score of, uh, how probable you can be a writer. Mm -hmm. so there's a checklist of 20 questions. Like when you were kids, did you know this? And, and you know, can you read these characters? Do you know these words? I didn't know. No, no, no. So I ended up scoring zero. 
of becoming an <laughs> author, you know, because I, I had no skills, I had no education, I had no background. Oh, the only thing is I had passion about books. I loved books. That's the only, but it didn't say in, in the 20 questions. So even though I scored zero, but my passion of sharing this information was big. And so I started writing, uh, I think, three years into semi-retirement and started uh, um, giving away my essays, about 26 pages, you know, about uh, stapled copies. All my friends loved it. So um, and they said, uh, can I have five more copies? And I said, OK. So every day I was stapling my you know, booklets, which was my joy because somebody loves my writing, you know, which is amazing. My self-image was so low after you know, changing diapers and doing nothing. Uh, so I was so happy doing that. And one time uh, I got uh, sore hands because of stapling every day. Uh, and I was complaining about that. And, uh, and my friend said, why don't you hire a printer? Which I did. And instead of, uh, I wanted to have like 300 book uh, copies or 500. He said, you know, we do only minimum of 1,000. I said, 1,000? I don't need that many. But he said, that's a minimum. Okay. And just, I unwillingly signed the contract. And But he said, he took the sh- uh, pip- uh, sheet of paper away from me and said, sir, actually, Look at these numbers, 3,000 copies. Uh, if you print that number, cost per uh, one booklet goes like one third. And it costs like uh, $5 to print. But now it's like $1.50 or something, like 3,000 copies. Good deal. So I signed the contract. <laughs> and I did. he didn't tell me intentionally how many boxes it would be. So two, week, two or three weeks later, two trucks came in, in, in front of my apartment and started unloading, and I asked him, what are these? I thought my neighbor is moving in. <laughs> and then it was my booklet. Oh, my God. And uh, I just gave him a tip and just uh, give me 30 minutes. I started to take a lot of things away from my um, room, and then I put everything in. And um, so I I try to come up with a good excuse for my wife, I know when I walk back, there's these boxes, you know, but it's my boxes, so it doesn't work. So I said, I apologize and sincerely, I'm so sorry. I, you know, this guy said three thousand is cheaper, so I signed a contract. Uh, is that okay? I just, I promise, you know, I just give away all the these booklets because my my friends loved it. So uh, in three months, and she said, one month, either boxes out or you out. <laughs> And then I started calling, you know, my friends, you, you like my book, uh, you know, my writing, do you want 100? Okay, I'm going to send you 200. I just give away. And then after a few weeks, I got uh, so many faxes. So, you know, long, many, many years ago, there's, there's a machine called fax machines. So I got so many orders uh, of free copies. And then I printed another 3,000. This time I was smart enough to uh, rent a storage unit for that. And then I printed another 5,000. It was su- such a joy to share what I knew. And by the time I gave away 100,000 copies, which was a little crazy. You know, I was I was so crazy in so many different ways. You know, if you don't work for four years, something does that to your psyche. And so uh, I print, I gave away 100,000 copies. And the publisher called me and they asked me to write a book. And the rest is a history. I published more than 200 books and sold about almost 9 million copies now. 
So we are going to talk about what's in those books, The Five Steps to Happy Money. But before we get there, I'm really interested in this idea that you did the scoring on being an author and you scored zero, right? But you said something to the extent of, but because I had the passion, Uh I was able to do it. You know, at the end of your book, Happy Money, you say, do what matters most and let the money support you. And that's kind of what you did, right? You said, this Uh is my passion. I'm going to do it. But is that option open to everyone? You know, I'm thinking of people who are living hand to mouth and don't have enough money and are just struggling to make money doing what they do every day. Or maybe people who want to be an author like you, but try to write and no one wants to buy what they write. Um, is that really an option to kind of do what gives you passion and and the money will follow? So I, I wrote a national bestsellers uh, about, about 10 years ago. Uh, the title goes, do what you love and make sure money follows you. And in that, uh, doing what you love is not all. It's about 20% of the whole thing. The rest, 90%. You have to set up a system. You have to work systematically on what you love. If you just you know follow your heart and, just, and do it for two days, it doesn't bring in any money. Because you have to go beyond uh, amateur level, you know, you have to go beyond professional level, you know, and uh, and then uh, either you're cooking, you're singing, you're counseling, coaching, whatever that is, people don't pay you uh, if you're not good enough. So you have to be much, much better than just being good or ordinary. So that means uh, you have to find something that is that you're truly, truly passionate about. So you don't care how many years it takes uh, or how much how much ever it takes to, to to finish it. My dream of becoming an author in English, uh, it took me nineteen years. Hmm. I, I I had a dream about two thousand uh, two thousand one, uh, or, or, or uh, almost like last millennium, right? And then uh, my English book came out in nine, uh, 2019. So it took me eighteen years or nineteen years. So your dream may not come true in two seconds. It takes time. All right. So let's then talk about the five steps to happy money. Maybe this is the pathway to some of those dreams. Step one is to shift out of the scarcity mindset. Mm -hmm. Is the scarcity mindset the human default? I mean, is that just what we all have to start with? I think so. Like, uh, just imagine ourselves in a caveman, uh, cave. I think I should say cave person's age at the time. So there's not much food, you know, there's no fridge. So uh, we were all starving and we're all afraid that predators are going to catch us and eat us. Uh, So we were all afraid. So I think being in fear is just a a, a survival mechanism. So uh, not moving out or not taking action is uh, the best strategy. I think uh, our ancestors are the ones who are so coward and didn't come out of the small cave or didn't come down from the trees. All those uh, like uh, people who are like Steve Jobs type of uh, risk takers, they took an adventure and then they never returned because curiosity kills, <laughs> I think, uh, cave people. We are the, so we are the, the descendants of uh, coward people. That's how we survived. So in, in, in deep our conscious level, taking actions and making a change could be a potential danger. So that's why we are afraid of making changes. So that's in our system. 
So um, we have to be aware that's our default. But also we had ancestors of risk takers. We, you know, we took thousands of miles uh, trip and then uh, we uh, we just sail around uh, hundreds of miles uh, from nowhere. And then a lot of people must have died, but we are the descendants of a proud, you know, risk takers. So we have a, a mixture of both. And in order to shift out of the scarcity mentality is that you have to really see abundance everywhere. So, um, for example, when I became an author 20 years ago, people said, oh, people are not going to read books. You know, sorry, it's a bad timing. You know, nobody's reading. And, you know, this this little machine, you, you can read it uh, online. So nobody carries uh, uh, paper books anymore. And there was partially right because, you know, the, the whole sales of books are diminishing. But I sold, uh, including my booklets, 10 million books have been read by people. So they were not um, right about people don't read books anymore. So I think uh, when you come in for, uh, I don't know, whatever the, the job is, you know, people would say, you're coming too late. You know, you should have come in 20 years ago. 30 years ago, or like two years ago, if it's an IT business. But I think they're wrong. You can start your own field. So um, I think by having the mentality that there is a space for me. Because what's interesting is that people are attracted to other people who are passionate, generous, kind, and fun. Uh, so I think it's the same if you it's an, a restaurant business or florist or a masusu, or a teacher, or doctor. So I think uh, your high energy, your happy energy attracts more business. So let's talk about what I think is probably one of the side effects of a scarcity mindset, this idea of money obsession. Mm -hmm. You say in your book, money obsession cuts off our potential for a great life. Why? Mm. Uh, because, you know, uh, we try to go... The short, short, we try to get take a shortcut. Usually, shortcut is not fun. It's fast, but you can't see much. You know, uh, if you uh, fly from uh, point A to point B, you can probably travel fastest, but you don't get to see so so much in between. If you if you go drive, you can see a lot, but still you can enjoy. If you if you walk. You see the flowers, you see, you know, people, you have a chat and you see uh, trees and um, um, meadows and you get to see so many beautiful things. So life is to be enjoyed, not, you know, go to the shortest cut. If you want to have a shortcut, I think you should die today. So, you know, it can end in your short life. So uh, life is uh, um, full of dramas and uh, both uh, positive and negatives. And if you are uh, okay with the, uh, either ones, your life will be full. But we try to go the, sh uh, the short uh, shortcut. Uh, people ask me, uh, how can I make money? How can I, how, how can I become a millionaire in the shortest time of, of your life? And I said, I can teach you, but it's boring. You know, <laughs> if you just, if somebody, you know, wires you a million dollars, that's boring. My first million dollars was full of uh, uh, hardships and also full of tears and uh, sweat. And that is uh, the, the most memorable and also uh, fun time of my, of my life. 
because I was never sure if people love me, uh, love what I do, and uh, the, the second person, the third person believed in me, and I was so touched, and uh, we formed a team, and we were not really sure, but a lot of people showed up. So there's a lot of drama. So I hope you enjoy the process of finding what you love and testing the waters, and then finally uh, get celebrated by so many people. Step two of the five steps of happy money is to forgive and heal your money wounds. You mm. were talking about the cavemen a little while ago when we were talking about uh, the scarcity mindset. How far do these money wounds go back? I think for now, uh, you can focus on your childhood. When I was seven or eight, I wanted a mountain bike. My parents said, that's too expensive. You know, that's too early for you. Like, I, I, got, I felt like I was completely denied because you know i was seven i thought i was already an adult you know how uh, boys feel so i i got really hurt in so many ways i wasn't worth it i wasn't ready i wasn't mature enough like i i thought i was judged by my parents and in fact we we had money so uh, that was not the part of it but i was denied for a dream bike and i'm sure many of us have been denied for our dream summer camps and the bicycles like me, ballet lessons, soccer lessons, and swimming lessons. Or, or, uh, or and it's interesting, you know, younger generation, they want different things like PlayStations and Nintendo Switch, whatever that is, you know, we are often denied because it's too expensive for you. So that her is still with us. So when we want to uh, do something new, I want to quit my job and start my own business. Uh, this scarcity, uh, money Scott is tells us, no, you can't make it because you're not worthy. You're not worthy of doing it. You know, you, you cannot do it because it's too expensive for you. You cannot do it. So uh, unless you heal what happened in your past, you feel like money is hard to get. Uh, and uh, for uh, happy people, money comes right in uh, the second you want it. And then it goes out. Uh, it's like a smooth uh, flow. It's like health. You know, you eat a good amount and then release a good amount. But for a lot of us, when money comes in, we hoard it. And then we try to eat, 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 and then refuse to go to the bathroom. I'm not going <laughs> to the bathroom. <laughs> I want to hold on to the money I had in my system. But when you think of health, that's so unhealthy. You have to release it in order to enjoy the next food. But when it comes to money, most of us are living the life of eating, 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 and, and never release. That, and that's not fun. You mentioned this idea of healing your wounds. Um, it makes me think of forgiveness, and, and maybe not just you, but but the generations before, right? Because I, I get the feeling that some of these money wounds come directly from our parents who yes. themselves are suffering from their own money wounds. Exactly. And, and, and uh, I've done a lot of money counselings all over the world, and I often deal with people uh, whose grandparents were born and brought up in the Great Depression era. And think about it, it's 1930s, like 90 years ago. And But the, the money scars that uh, your grandparents uh, experienced as a child, uh, as children, it was passed on to your parents' generation and then you. It makes sense when I do a money counseling to ask uh, what your parents' background and and, and uh, your grandparents' background, and I can sense why the reason why you cannot 
uh, leave your company that you're working for and start your own business is that you are so scared because of this uh, money scars that happened to your grandparents eight years ago. And then he goes, it doesn't make sense, but I feel it's true. So, and then after just uh, appreciating uh, your parents and your grandparents for uh, giving giving you the scars or uh, to make sure that you're safe. They didn't do it to punish you. They did it. So they make sure that you're safe. So in, in my counseling, I just tell my clients to do this ritual. Thank your parents. Thank your grandparents. And, and ask for a guardian instead of just, uh, you know, protecting them. And so instead of just protecting, uh, not to do anything new, you know, just protect me if I just start doing this. And uh, this they can get out of the scarcity mentality very soon. We are talking to Ken Honda about the five steps to happy money. We are going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date, first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, service key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash earn. That is linkedin.com slash E-A-R-N for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash earn and get started. This episode is brought to you by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example. With a visceral, uncompromising, and dramatic feel, this car helps you rise to the occasion. How does it do that? Range Rover Sport has powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capability by combining assertiveness with signature Range Rover refinement. This is the car that redefines sporting luxury. The new Range Rover Sport features advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification, purposeful cockpit-like driving position, and award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. Once again, explore and build your Range Rover Sport at L-A-N-D-R-O-V-E-R. USA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. Let me reintroduce you. We're talking to Ken Honda. He is Japan's number one best-selling personal development guru and author of Happy Money, the Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. You mentioned the term money flow, Ken, and this reminds me of step three of the five steps to happy money. Step three is discover your gifts and get in the flow of happy money. 
First and foremost, and I get this question all the time, how do we discover our gifts? And it, I think it comes down to how do we know what our purpose is? Mm-hmm. So, uh, in oftentimes you you find it difficult to do certain things, and uh, uh, by the end of the day, you feel so tired. Oh, that was a tough day. And on the other day, you know, you after working uh, fourteen hours, you feel still feel energized, and then, oh, that was so fun. You know, I can just start working another fourteen hours. You know, uh, I'm a little exaggerating. And uh, Dr. G, I, if uh, my observation is correct, I I, I I think you love talking with patients, right? Definitely. And they sometimes you go uh, deep uh, into the conversation about their childhood or young time, and and when you just realize, oh, you have to go to the next person, right? So I think your gift is in uh, listening, uh, deep listening, and I, I I should call it soul listening. So people are heard at a soul level, which is uh, such a rare gift. Uh, And um, so all your patients uh, must have been so happy to find you as their doctor. Because uh, unfortunately, I think it's not in the U.S. or uh, Europe and Japan. Not many doctors are educated in active listening. So they said, okay, this is your diagnosis and see you in two minutes. You know, so uh, very you know, short. It's not even a human uh, connection. So uh, when you feel that deep connection with patients, you feel like, oh, that was beautiful. And that's when you actually are finding your gifts. And you must have received so many comments. Dr. G, you're so incredible. Thank you so much for my, being my father's, you know, doctor and uh, compliments like that tells you that you have a gift in that they probably didn't uh say i'm so glad that because you're so uh, intelligent you graduate from certain university i don't think they mentioned that they mentioned about who you are so that's when you find out that you where your gifts are so uh the next step is like if you can just uh improve your gifts and make it outstanding so people are starting to pay but uh, you have to acknowledge it, acknowledge what you have and protect it because your gift is just a newborn little sprout. And a lot of people, you know, especially your parents and, and your uh, your spouses come come up and say, oh, uh, that's a weed. And they try to just take it out. So you have to protect it. I like this step, step three, because you talk about the flow of happy money. One is figuring out your gifts, but then you talk about getting in the flow. And I'm wondering... You know, is money an energy source? I mean, when you talk about it, I almost feel like it's electricity. Like there's this thing around us that's carrying us um, to and fro. Do you see it as an energy source? Yes, exactly. Because uh, whatever you give out as energy, it comes back. So one time at my retreat center, um, there's this six-year-old girl asking me, Ken, is everything around in this room all yours? And I said, in fact, yes, I bought everything, you know, in, in this room. I bought this curtain. I bought these flowers. I bought this sofa uh, because somebody did a great job. So I I, I tend to buy handmade uh, stuff because, you know, I, I can really feel the energy. So I was telling this little girl, you know, a lot of people pay me uh, happy money. So with that happy money, I bought all these uh, happy goods. So I'm surrounded by happy energy. 
Isn't that fun? And she said, that's that's sweet, is what she said. So if you're surrounded by good energy, as a result of servicing other people, good energy, you you receive happy money and then buy happy goods. So you're surrounded by happy energy. And that's the beauty of life. And if you just uh, um, let, uh, if you start letting money flow in. It's interesting you say that the way you do, because happy money, happy flow in, but also this idea that it has to continue flowing, right? So happy money has to flow out. You know, lots of gurus out there tell you that frugality is what you need to do and that you shouldn't be spending money. Do you disagree with them? It's up to them. If if your money container is small, you can spend less money. If your money container is big, you can just uh, earn more money and uh, spend more money. For example, you know my income is much much higher than supporting uh, three of us, my wife and my daughter, and so I'm supporting uh, a, a lot of other families by my personal basic income. So I support them uh, in, in ways that uh, they can get their life together and then start you know just doing something else. So I I don't need the income. Uh, as much as I earn, but the income I receive can be used for other people too. It's up to you. You know, if you are uh, destined to have a small money container, you probably live like a monk. And if your money container is big, a friend of mine has uh, 10,000 employees in his company. It's because his money container is big. So he, he gets, he generates millions of dollars and then uh, millions of dollars are paid as a salary. So we all have a purpose. We all have a, a role in a society. Most important thing is finding your own seat is super important because we tend to find a seat in the wrong section. It's an interesting idea. And I think that goes well with the fourth step of the five steps of happy money, which is trust life. And <laughs> That almost sounds passive to me. And I feel like we've been having a very active conversation about what you can do to have happy money. Tell me about trust life. And you say specifically it can't coexist with fear. Elaborate on that for me. When we think of future, does that make you feel uh, welcome and then happy? Or when you think of future, do you feel in anxiety or do you feel fear? It depends on which fear, uh, which uh, future do you plan to have. If you feel like you're welcome, you're excited, and you you can't wait to see your future, you imagine subconsciously your future will be fun. And if you're in a fear mode, survival mode, or worry mode, that means your future will be miserable. Your future will be full of money worries and money-related stress uh, because you're kind of expecting that future. So it, it, just imagine two doors, one, a lot of fun, one, a lot of tough, tough things. Which one do you want to open? And unfortunately, a lot of people want to open. I don't want to open this. I don't want to open this and open the <laughs> fearful doors because that would lead to another fearful doors. So uh, when you are in a trusting mode, Either it might come out as a negative thing, uh, like sickness or like, you know, bankruptcy or whatever that is. It could be bad. It could be good. But if you can think of this life as a learning kindergarten, you know, time, 
you can enjoy both positive and negative. So if you're in that state of mind, you can enjoy your next step. So whatever comes next, you can enjoy it. Could be positive, could be negative. Let's see what happens. Life is half positive, half negative. You know, we cannot change that. And uh, we don't have to change the way we feel because it's not natural. So some people try to force you to think positively, but uh, things are half positive, things are half negative. It's a, it's a law of nature. So I think it's, it's, it's easier for us to adapt to this nature. Enjoy both. You don't have to label it. You, know? you don't have to uh, unlabel it and label back. And, and if you have that mentality, you can enjoy both. That is trust in the future. It's not expecting the best to happen every day, which is unrealistic. One of the ways to trust and enjoy the future is to take step five, which is to say arigato all the time. For people who don't know, and us English speakers, tell me what arigato actually translates into in English, and why is this important? Arigato means uh, it's hard, impossible to be or impossible to exist. That means like one in a million. So uh, the chance that you invited me is such an arigato thing because you could have chosen somebody else, but you found me. And so that is something that uh, I I want to appreciate because you had enough trust in me that I'm good enough. I hope I was good enough for your show. And then uh, you think I was the right fit. So the trust I, I had from you without meeting me is big. So that's like impossible. So impossible thing is keeps happening. That is what I think a miracle. So when you uh, uh, when you feel what comes next is a great thing, uh, what no matter what, you can enjoy it. I can just um, uh, share a quick story of my students, uh, student in my seminar. He was riding a bicycle one day and he was supposed to turn right. But somehow he 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 turned left, and then he got hit by a huge truck. Uh, luckily, he just broke his leg, and then he had to be hospitalized in three months. Is this good luck or bad luck? Probably bad luck. But during the three months period, he was in the same room with this guy, and they became very close friends. And they, you know, they were just um, a bit became very close. And one day, his uh, hospital mate got a visitor and uh, his niece and this student of mine fell in love with this niece and then she got married. So uh, it's a good luck, bad luck, good luck so far. And I haven't seen him for a year, so I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> he might come up and say, can you know what happened? You know, we got a divorce or he may stay happy. So, but the fact that he turned left changed his destiny. And then at the time of marriage, he was very happy, by the way, when he turned left. But after five years, he may find it terrible. I wish I, I turned right so I, <laughs> I didn't meet her. Or uh, after that, he might end up being another person or another incident. So life is a full of uh, dramas. So we don't need to judge if this is good, this is bad, because it's just a sequence of experiences. And if we just see what's happening next and uh, we can enjoy both, I think uh, that is trust in life. The interesting thing that I think 
after reading this the first time, I did a little bit of a dub, double take is this idea that we should be saying arigato when money comes in, but we should also be saying it when it comes out, when it goes out. Why yes. is that important? Because we get something in exchange for money, uh, like at the restaurant, you know, uh, we're not we're not giving money. We are we receive food and services and hospitality uh, in exchange for the money. So we can give that money to the, the cashier or the t- a waiter, a waiting person in appreciation for the services. And uh, think of the electricity bills. We are complaining about you know expensive electricity bills, but uh, without this, we cannot uh, heat our hot homes and we cannot use internet and we cannot uh, read books at night. So there are millions of reasons to appreciate for the services rendered. So can you feel the appreciation? How many people were involved in installing electricity uh, in your house? So when you start appreciating everybody, the serviceman and the person at the uh, power plant and the probably the tanker operator who brought oil from Middle East or whatever that is, if you can feel that we are uh, living um, in the flow of uh, people's chain, a lot of people's work, so uh, without us knowing, we are uh, already connected globally. So once we know, we are not living alone. I don't like the word self-made millionaire because nobody can become a self-made millionaire. We are all connected. So once we feel the appreciation, and I think money will be um, spent out of appreciation. So we've been talking the five steps to happy money. Step one is shift out of the scarcity mindset. Step two is forgive and heal your money wounds. Step three is discover your gifts and get in the flow of happy money. Step four is trust life. And step five is say arigato all the time. It kind of makes me wonder, as we get to the end of this conversation, do we overstress the importance of the money itself? I mean, is the money the important thing here? I think the goal is forget about money. So money becomes air uh, if you have enough. So money is a uh, uh, ice. I see things, you know, when you're living in a cold war uh, place, you know, uh, money is frozen. So you get uh, fro- fro- frozen bites and it's pointy. So money is dangerous when it's frozen. And uh, when it money becomes water in a um, mild uh, environment. Uh, you, is still you need management. You, you have to make sure there's enough. If it's too much, it becomes flood. If it's too little, it becomes drought. So you have to be pay. You have to pay much attention. But when it, money gets heated up and be, evaporates, it's air. So we don't complain. Our neighbors are sniffing more air. <laughs> you know, there's enough. So uh, I don't think of money in on on d- daily life when I pay taxes, like. Uh, I, I wow, that's a big number, uh, and and then I appreciate because I uh, the reason I'm paying so much taxes is that I I earned so much money, you know, happy money came in in my life in such a big way. I try to come up with uh, all the faces and 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 people who pay me happy money. So that's a time when I just think of money. But in on everyday life, I use credit cards, and my people can take care of the bills. Uh, I don't see money in everyday life, but because I'm, I know that in a huge way, uh, beautiful energy comes in and beautiful energy moves out. So if you have more than enough, and if you make more than you spend, you don't have to worry 
uh, about money for the rest of your life. So I hope all the viewers and listeners, if if you <laughs> want to know more about money, I think the goal is to forget about money. And if, if you start focusing on what's more important than money, I think you pass the money test. In the U.S. right now, there's lots of excitement about this idea of hitting financial independence at an early age, like you did, right, and retiring early. I'm wondering your thoughts about retirement, because in your book, you almost never mention it, and it almost seems beside the point. Yes, because, uh, you know, what do you retire for? Do you want to retire for recognition? Do you you want to retire that you want to show off what you have? My retirement could be very boring. So I was, uh, I, I had the happiest time because I had a baby. But if I was, a, if I was a single guy, I, I, I wouldn't retire because it's too boring. You know, it, I, it, I retired. It's because of uh, a precious time. It, it was a time of nesting for my family, but I, I'm not planning to retire soon. So, uh, retire when you're young and then go back to work and work. Uh, for the rest of your life. I think that's uh, the ideal life. So don't retire if you like what you do. But you can retire for a few years for your baby babies or your, for your loved ones because nesting is very important. Uh, your life will be built on the basis of, of that nest, nesting. So uh, retire young is not necessarily the most important thing. I think most important thing is after little retirement, what are you going to do to fulfill your life, fulfill your soul? I think it's more important than just retire young and play golf all day, unless you're a golfer. (laughs) Well, Ken, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today. What I really take from this conversation is this idea that if we do what matters to us, happy money will flow in because it will be supporting us doing what matters. And then if we spend on things that are important to us and let that happy money flow out, we eventually won't have to worry about money at all. And I think that's really the purpose. I wanted to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life. And specifically, if people have questions or want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? So I feel so shy about doing this in English, but now I'm coming out of uh, this small hiding place and uh I started English community called Arigato Living Community. You can find all the information at kenhonda.com. I um, I do a sharing and a Q&A every month, um, depending on the time, sometimes for North American audience, North and Central South American audience, sometimes for European African audience. But I do that once or twice a month. So uh, you can ask me any questions. And uh, um, that is a community. And uh, I start teaching um, outside of Japan. So I hope one day I'm going to meet you in person and just, I want to listen in uh, all your incredible stories of happy money. Well, the book is Happy Money, The Japanese Art of Making Peace with Your Money. Ken Honda, thank you for coming on the Earn and Invest podcast. Dr. G, thank you so much. That's such a great honor for me to be uh, spending time with you. Thank you. Arigato. Arigato, and that's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts.
Awesome. I keep things running just for a moment or two to catch the after show as we're chatting. Um, but thank you for doing that. I really enjoyed your book. I mean, I think, you know, it, it, so my story is I came to understanding my finances at a point when I had enough. I just didn't really understand my finances. And I was also at this point where I was having trouble with the practice of medicine and wasn't enjoying it as much and wasn't doing the things in medicine I like to do. Um, and so I spend a lot of time not thinking about how you get enough money per se, but more importantly, what's the role money plays in our life and how does it allow us to live a better, more purposeful life? And so I really enjoyed reading your book because I think, you know, we're very much aligned in this idea of what yes. money should do for you and how it is in a sense, I call it potential energy, right? It's this potential energy that allows you a tool to do all sorts of things, but yes. above and beyond that, it has mm -hmm. no other importance. And so yes. I love this. I love this more spiritual idea, too, that you kind of welcome in the happy energy of money into your life when you do things that are meaningful and important to you. Um, and then you can spread that happy energy back out into the world. And money just happens to be one of those forms we do that. Mm -hmm. And I think you're the doctor, you're the living example. So I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I, tr I try to be. <laughs> I try to be. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.